0: It's
1: hers. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
0: Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything.
1: Economic efficiencies, which means some more job
2: opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred a class. Money for nothing.
1: Good morning and welcome to Monday's Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra Hora. Equities across the globe rally to multi-year highs. The Hong Kong Stock Exchange flags a large increase in the quota for cross-border share trading. And General Electric announces a radical restructuring of its business. And Hillary Clinton announces that she will run to be the next president of the United States of America.
3: She's extremely likely to be the Democratic nominee, and I think she's very likely to be the president of the United States.
1: That's Warren Buffett chipping in with his views on Hillary Clinton's bid to be the next U.S. president. As a fire is ignited under the world's stock markets, we'll talk to some leading experts about the prospects for growth in the U.S. and Asia and the outlook for world markets. Joining us with their unique insights this morning are firstly our Washington-based international economics correspondent Barry Wood. Then we talk to Hong Kong veteran and uh, property expert Peter Churchhouse, author of The Church Letter, and finally we'll be joined by an experienced China watcher, Andy Rothman of Matthews International Capital Management. And of course, as always on a Monday, our guest host is Alex Wong of Ample Capital. Good morning, Alex.
4: Good morning, Juanita.
1: So, Alex, you've been following the market, uh, the Hong Kong market, for how many years now? I bet you haven't seen many weeks like last week. Can it continue?
4: (laughs) Of course, but uh, I have witnessed uh, that kind of move uh, last year in the Asia market. So, we are copying the um, move in China. Uh, right now. So probably we would see further extension. Right now we are seeing a massive, uh, changing hands, uh, happening. So we would be in a volatile factions for some time. But I think, uh, we probably would have further upside later on.
1: Yep, just flipping things around. Shares around the world are continuing their push to new record highs. In Europe, the FTSE 100 closed at a fresh high after the blockbuster £47 billion M&A deal between Royal Dutch Shell and BG. On the continent, the FTSE Eurofirst 300 closed at a 15-year high and just 3% away from its all-time high. And stock markets in Germany, France, Holland and Italy have all rallied by more than 20% so far this year. With a quarter of all Eurozone government bonds now trading with a negative yield, investors are flocking to shares. The Euro, which has fallen by 12% this year, also provides a boost for large European multinationals. JP Morgan private bank uh, chief investment strategist Kate Moore discusses European stocks.
5: I think there's a tremendous amount of um, enthusiasm for European stocks right now. That's kind of the nice way I'm going to say it. Yep. <laughs> Look, there's just been a huge amount of hot money flows into the asset class. You know, we've had almost $60 billion of new money enter European equities since the start of this year. I mean, that is, you know, contrasted with about $50 billion out of U.S. equities. We've had a gigantic divergence. Everyone's kind of betting their flows on monetary policy. If you're adding liquidity, if you're engaging in QE, if you're stimulating, further you add to that equity market. So multiples have expanded. uh, Investors have gotten extremely enthusiastic. And it is a very popular and I think consensus trade on the sell side and the buy side.
1: In the U.S., General Electric has announced plans to dispose of the bulk of its financial services operations and return to its roots as an industrial company. GE, which traces its origins back to inventor Thomas Edison, has been in financial services since the 1930s. and The disposal process has now started with a sale of $26.5 billion of property assets to Wells Fargo and Blackstone. GE expects its industrial operations will account for 90% of its profits going forward. Here's uh, CEO Jeffrey Immelt explaining why and why now.
0: The business model of financial services has certainly changed. You know, we've got a fantastic industrial uh, portfolio, but we were a large wholesale-funded uh, finance company. You know, the wholesale funding model is tougher uh, we, we, were, we felt like we we're disadvantaged versus banks. And at the end of the day, you know, the way investors uh, view financial services versus industrial assets is just starkly different. And, and we kind of felt from an investor standpoint that this was the right time to make the move. And we've been working this way since the financial crisis. And, you know, why right now? I think two things have happened uh, just recently. You know, one is uh, uh, you really have a perfect market to be selling financial service assets so you've got slow growth low interest rates lots of liquidity people searching for yield mm-hmm. and i think recently the the fsoc you know the financial oversight uh, board has really said that there's an off ramp for companies that uh, were systemically significant to kind of get off as they shrunk and you know we think this is good for the system we think it's good for the regulatory world it's good for investors and That's been more or less recent. Now's the time to do it.
1: An 11% surge in GE shares, their best one-day showing since early 2009. Boyd Industrials in the U.S., which was the best-performing sector in the U.S., rising 3.3% over last week. The S&P 500 pushed its weekly gain to 1.7%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average advanced 1.6%, and the Nasdaq Composite rose 2.2% over the course of the week. The dollar index, a measure of the greenback against its largest trading counterparts, climbed 2.9% over the week to 9938 The dollar rallied on hopes of more upbeat economic data and some Fed officials wanting to raise rates in June. Brent crude, the global oil marker, rose 5.5% for the week to $57.99 a barrel. Chad Morganlander is a portfolio manager at Stiefel Nicholas. He tells us whether he thinks U.S. stocks are overvalued.
5: We are as well elevated, but nonetheless, we're not in bubble territories. The one thing that you do have to, though, realize is that our the valuations and the expected returns on the S&P 500, once you start normalizing profit margins, S&P profit margins, NEPA profit margins, Mm -hmm. you come to a conclusion that overall total returns over the next five years will be somewhat more muted, mid-single-digit kind of returns.
1: all right, let's stick with our U.S. theme and bring in our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, who joins us on the phone from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Renita, and welcome back. Thank you. It's uh, good to be back. It's uh, been a long Easter and, uh, you know, eggs are overrated at the end of the day. What can I say? <laughs> good for you. Yeah. Barry, you know, the U.S. dollar is on the march upwards again, having its best week since SEP uh, 2011. Now, is that because a June rate hike is back on the table?
3: No, I don't think that's the only thing that's, that's in the market. But, uh, I think by the way, it's going to be September, but you never the jobs, data, and other dating out. The dollar is strong, the Euro is, and uh, that, is, uh, that is a problem, and uh, the Japanese yen is, is weak as well. I think the dollar is going to stay strong in large part because uh, U.S. interests are thought to be rising, and it's true that uh, these look like it to invest.
1: All right, Barry, I think we've got a bit of disturbance there. So we're going to uh, you take a break and try and get you back uh, on the phone just a little bit later. Uh, let's turn our attention now closer to home. Uh, tumultuous holiday-shortened week in Hong Kong saw the Hang Seng Index surge 8% in just three days with turnover. Over three times the normal volume. The value of trades on the Hong Kong market on Thursday last week was more than double the combined figure for London, Frankfurt and Paris. Wow. And as money poured into the city, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority stepped into the market three times with injections totaling over 16 billion Hong Kong dollars to meet the strong demand for Hong Kong dollars. The southbound leg of the Hong Kong Shanghai Stock Connect scheme saw its daily quota used up twice last week and is now 25% full. Hong Kong ex chief executive Charles Lee has indicated that there will be a big expansion of the quota. So if it's hit every day, it would be completely full in 17 days. So where is all this volume coming from? Uh, Chinese equities fund manager at Henderson Global Investors, Charles Audrey, explains.
3: Well, look, if you look at the volumes uh, that are being traded in the overall Hong Kong market, what you can clearly see is that there is more participation, not just from the mainland investors, but from everyone else. So those other people include foreign institutional investors like ourselves, who are maybe uh, cautious on China, underweight. They've probably been closing underweight positions. Uh, There'll be hedge funds who are covering shorts and getting long. And also there'll be, you know, Hong Kong retail investors and your point about uh, GF Securities being up so much on, on, on day one, you know, that illustrates to you that retail investors are, are back in the Hong Kong market for sure. But quantifying that is, is, is quite difficult.
1: So our next guest is a veteran in the property and finance sex- sectors here, and he has been in Hong Kong for over 30 years. Peter Churchhouse of Churchhouse Publishing. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. So, Peter, how often in 30 years have you seen a rally of almost 8% in the Hang Seng Index in well, just three days?
2: Yeah, that's uh, it's not too often you've seen that. You've <laughs> seen uh, 8 to 10% declines in three days in the past, but uh, to see that sort of uh, on, the, on, the, on the other side of the fence uh, is, is a little bit rare uh, indeed. And, and I think what's most important here is the volumes. Uh, if you go back to 2007, the last big bull market, uh, <clears throat> we were seeing – Volumes of about one hundred and forty hundred and fifty billion uh, so we 're now way above that in in this rally so that 's I, I think the the key thing here
1: so Peter, would you say that retail investors in China are now starting to get a taste of international markets. Is that fair?
2: Well, I I think that's probably correct, but we were also discussing earlier here that uh, I I sense a lot of the China money has already uh, come out of China and is lurking around in places like Singapore, Hong Kong, New York, San Francisco. Uh, And and this Stock Connect, the Shanghai Connect uh, component of last week's rally uh, was really very, very small. A lot of that China money is already here, and i think a lot of that is is, is seen within the retail uh, brokerage community here in, in hong kong also
1: alex what do you think about that well
2: oh,
4: i think uh, hong kong is a market which has many derivatives so uh, in a fast market like this uh, that would accelerate the trading and also uh, we are we are still small as compared to the asia market if you talk about the volume but i think uh, if you talk about the market size hong kong is not that small as compared to Asia. So we probably would have some more. Active days like uh, last week uh, coming uh, in the coming months, actually.
1: Peter, what about valuations? I mean, according to Bloomberg research, valuations in China are higher than at the peak of the U.S. dot com bubble. And, um, you know, Chinax now trades at more than 49 times forward earnings, more than double the current valu- uh, valuations on the NASDAQ. And in Shenzhen, half of the stocks have a forward PE above 50, and 18% of them have a forward PE above 100. Are we in a bubble?
2: Well, it certainly seems that way in, uh, in China. But uh, if we look at the, 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 the Chinese stocks trading in Hong Kong, uh, I think that's less the case. They're trading at the moment at about a 23 24% discount to their China A-share Uh, equivalents. So I I think this side of the border, if you like, is is not unreasonable uh, compared to the other side of the border and I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing the Hong Kong market um, uh, as being so well bid uh, because of that big discount that we've seen uh, widen out over the last six months or so since the Chinese market took off like a rocket.
1: So Peter, sort of switching gear to another investment uh, territory, your latest newsletter suggests that New Zealand is a hidden rough diamond of an investment. Why do you say this?
2: Well, I I think it's one of those uh, little countries that people overlook. Uh, We all know about the country, its pristine environment and uh, uh, outdoor recreational activities and so on. But it's one of the few uh, OECD economies right now that's running along at about 3% growth. Uh, So corporates are in pretty good shape in that market. Uh, You're seeing uh, the the core industries of of, um, uh, of agriculture and so on, doing particularly well. Uh, unemployment is relatively low, uh, at around five, just over five percent. Inflation is under control, uh, and, and the, the country is being run uh, pretty efficiently by the, 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 uh, the existing regime under Prime Minister John Key. So, I think there's a lot to like about that market at the moment. It's not terribly cheap. But it's also uh, a very reliable and well-governed market, uh, and, and I think you're going to see uh, decent earnings growth through most sectors in that market over the course of the coming uh, year or so. And again, it's a market where you can get yield. I can buy stocks down there that are yielding me six, seven, eight percent. Where else in the world can I find stocks that give me that kind of yield? So, in an environment where everybody's looking for yield, uh, that market actually provides it. Even in the bank, you can get four uh, percent on your your money in the bank, which uh, I can't find that in, in too many other countries around the world, in a world-governed uh, and well-regulated country as well.
1: So, okay, so we're getting the yield, um, 6% or so on stocks, but there's, there's not a lot of stocks to choose from. You know, are there? I mean, it's a tiny market.
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, It is a tiny market. But for most of our our readers and and, uh, people who we we speak to are pretty small investors. So if you're a big uh, multi-squillion dollar hedge fund, New Zealand is too small for you as a market probably. But it's certainly not too small for many smaller funds, uh, family offices and retail investors uh, who can easily access that market uh, and and I think uh, get pretty – decent uh, uh, sort of double-digit returns over the course of the next year or so.
1: So besides uh, equities, uh, you know, in New Zealand, are there any other kinds of suggestions that you have for investing there?
2: Well, we've been investing in real estate in that market uh, for some time. Uh, it, the market has picked up. It's up about 14% last year. in Auckland, the, the, the major city, That's not the capital city, but it's the largest city, uh, that, that pickup in real estate is now spreading right throughout the country. Uh, just as it did in Britain and just as it's doing in the U.S. Uh, so I think, as, as an asset class, real estate is actually reasonably attractive. And again, uh, I can get a 7% yield on my uh, real estate investments, uh, good quality uh, real estate investments in that market as well. So I think that, that's a market that's going to run for a little while. There's not a lot of supply happening, a lot of immigrants going there. Uh, so I think it's uh, un- fundamentally well underpinned.
1: All right, Peter. Thank you uh, so much for joining us this morning. That is Peter Churchhouse, and he is. Is the author of Church House Publishing. Well, Barry is back on the phone with us from Washington, D.C. on a more clear line. Good morning, Barry.
3: Oh, I apologize to listeners, Renita. It's no fun. I, we're playing with new technology here, and uh, I'm so sorry that that didn't work. Hey,
1: nothing to apologize about. This is live radio and it's lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, Barry, we've seen uh, three presidential candidates uh, declare their hand for next year's race, including now Hillary Clinton. Will the U.S. economy be a big focus, do you think, during the presidential race?
3: I think it will be the biggest factor in the race. And we have a recovering economy. Uh, You know, we may be in the new normal of around 2% growth, but it would seem to me if you look ahead over the next uh, 12-18 months, we're going to be picking up. So I would think that's a plus for Hillary Clinton.
1: So uh, Barry, you know, for our listeners here in Hong Kong, who are perhaps less familiar with uh, uh, sort of the election landscape and how that works, what would you say would be the main differences between Republicans and Democrats? on the subject of the U.S. economy?
3: Wow. That's a tough question because the parties are so divided. <laughs> and, you, you know, that's the dysfunction that we've talked about so much. You can't get anything done in the Congress. There is, there is uh, distrust between the parties. But the differences between the parties, in fact, may not be that great. I mean if you look at uh, tax policy, yes, the Democrats want to do more with government. They want to have more public investment. The Republicans seem to oppose that, but it's never quite as clear-cut as it as it you know initially appears. On foreign policy, there's some difference. You know, the Republicans would castigate uh, President Obama for opening up to Cuba. Uh they would support his pivot to Asia. Uh they certainly want to be more pro Israel than than President Obama. They're they're they think the president should do more on Ukraine, but again, you can't make any cut and dried uh, differences between the parties on foreign policy or economic policy.
1: Barry, how about China? Is China uh, at all a concern, you know, amongst U.S. Uh, politicians? You know, the fact that it is becoming more assertive.
3: Very much so, and there is a perception here that the United States, and particularly the Obama administration, has really fumbled the ball in terms of the Asian investment an infrastructure bank and that the Americans have uh, wrong footed on terms of uh, the uh, RMB coming into the SDR at the IMF and that we're on the defensive and I think there's uh, an accurate projection of that particularly as we come to the International Monetary Fund spring meetings over the next 5 days China it again some Republicans on the far right would say that China should be branded a currency manipulator and that we should be protectionist. But generally, the Republicans would be more open for free trade, freer trade with China. They're for TPP, and the Democrats less so. But, of course, the president is pushing TPP, so it's complicated. China is a factor. Everybody's got an opinion about China, but you can't divide it by party.
1: All right, Barry, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent from Washington, D.C. Well, casualties of the collapsing iron ore prices mount across Asia. Iron ore has fallen to just $47, down a third since the start of the year. And this follows a 50% fall in 2014. And the price is now at the lowest level since the steel index first started compiling data on prices. The decline reflects the poor health of the Chinese steel industry, and overproduction in the sector. Bloomberg's uh, Kenneth Hoffman explains more.
5: China imports around 70% of the iron ore. So for every dollar move in iron ore, it benefits China's economy by a billion dollars. So for them giving money to their local miners to stay in business and to keep the price of iron ore low really benefits China as a whole.
1: How is China trying to rebalance its economy as infrastructure spending and the property market slows, thus reducing demand for products like iron ore? Here's Kenneth Hoffman again.
5: The Chinese government said in their third plenum a couple of years ago that they were going to completely transform this economy, that they weren't going to be like the last two governments, which always overspent on building and infrastructure, uh, and they are changing the economy to a higher value-add economy. But what that's going to mean is the low-value-add economy basic steel for construction, Mm -hmm. cement, coal, that's all ending.
1: We're joined now by Andy Rothman, who is an investment strategist at Matthews International Capital Management based in San Francisco, but he's visiting Hong Kong to speak at the Fun Forum Asia. Good morning, Andy. Morning. Thanks for stopping by this morning. Okay, so Andy, we just heard on that last clip that China plans to transform its economy into a higher value-added economy. How will it do that?
5: Well, I'd argue that that process is already well underway. For example, in the last two years, the tertiary part of the economy, services, uh, retail, trade, finance, was bigger and contributed more to growth than the secondary part, manufacturing and construction. That's a huge change. Most of the job growth is coming from services now. We've also seen that investment is playing a much smaller role in growth. Uh, For three out of the last four years, consumption has contributed more to China's growth than did investment.
1: So you think this, you know, it can succeed?
5: I think the process is well underway, and I think the odds of success are pretty good. But we also have to get comfortable with the fact that one of the byproducts of this rebalancing or restructuring is that everything's going to grow more slowly every year for the foreseeable future.
1: So what do you think this means then for companies in lower value-added sectors like coal, steel, cement, and so forth? I mean, we've seen the government uh, step in by cutting taxes to keep miners afloat, but are they going to have to take further measures?
5: Well, this is one of the casualties of change, and every economy has to go through this. So just take a look at where industrial profit growth was in the first couple of months of this year in the mining industry, down 63%. Manufacturers of computers and electronics gear up forty-eight percent. So this is actually an interesting opportunity for investors as well if you look at the parts of the economy that are still growing quite fast.
1: And what would you say are the long-term risks for this kind of strategy?
5: Well, the long term risks are probably first in terms of government policy, if the government was to get nervous about this transition. For me, one of the best things that came out of last year was that the Communist Party did not reach into its wallet and pull out a significant stimulus. Uh, we're in this unusual position where I think Communist Party leaders are comfortable with the fact that growth is slowing, whereas in the West, we're still tending to freak out about what? China's not growing at 7% anymore? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. You know, the latest economic data out of uh, China suggests that the slowdown is getting worse. What would you say is your take on the the real strength? Well, I think
5: we need to understand two things. First of all, that slower growth is a good thing um, and that it's also still really fast growth. And we need to remember the base effect, for example. Uh, Last year, 7.4% growth was a lot slower than 10.1% a decade ago, but the base was 300% bigger. So the incremental increase to the size of Chinese economy last year at the slower growth rate was 100% bigger than it was 10 years ago. That's a better opportunity for anybody selling goods and services or investing in those companies. The other transition we need to keep in mind is that we're moving significantly away from state-owned enterprise, which Mm. is heavily in the resources extraction sector. So, for example, in the first two months of this year, state-owned enterprise, large industrial firms' profit growth was down 37 percent. But private, larger industrial firms, their profits were up 9 percent.
1: And another sign of how the economy is changing is that retail investors seem to be pulling money out of the real estate sector and investing in the stock market instead. Are they heading for a big fall, would you say?
5: Well, no, I I don't see that relationship. Um, When we look at who's been buying homes in China, it's a lot of people. Even though the housing market was very, very soft last year, people still bought 10 million new homes. And the overwhelming majority of those people are buying them to live in. Uh, the share of people buying investment property in China has been less than 10 percent each year for many years now. So I don't think there's people coming out of property and going to stocks. I think people are sitting on a tremendous amount of cash. Household bank deposits in China are equal to more than eight trillion U.S. dollars. That's bigger than the combined GDPs of Russia, Brazil and India.
1: All right, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Andy Rothman, investment strategist at Matthews International Capital Management. All right, time to uh, take a quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is up 0.03 uh, percent uh, to one, uh, 19,914. Australia's ASX index is up three tenths of a percent to five thousand nine hundred fifty-one, and Seoul's Kospi is up two tenths of a percent to two thousand and ninety-two. In currencies, one. One euro is currently worth 1.06 U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar is trading at 120 yen and one pound sterling will buy you 11 Hong Kong dollars and 35 cents. And a one pound sterling will also buy you 1.46 U.S. dollars. So, Alex, before we close the show, uh, this week we're going to have a full week of trading in the Hong Kong market. What should we be looking out for that could indicate whether the bull market has, uh, you know, more, more to go?
4: I think, uh, first of all, this is a liquidity driven market, and my advice is not to short. And, uh, right now, uh, probably you would feel a little bit insecure, but take a look at the Asia market, uh, last year. So, uh, we, we, we should be, uh, catching up with the move like that because we are now changing uh, the culture of the China, Hong Kong market. We are probably uh, transforming from an international market into a China market right now, so um, uh, we should be uh, very cautious that the uh, valuation probably would change a lot in Hong Kong in a relatively short period of time. So uh, don't short this market. I think uh, even if we see any dips, I think uh, that would not be too too long. I think.
1: All right, Alex, thanks for joining us. That's Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital, our regular Monday guest host. And I'm Renita Malhotra Hura, closing up for this morning's Money for Nothing. A quick look at the weather forecast for today. A dry uh, continental airstream is bringing generally fine weather to the area. It'll be fine and dry. The temperature right now is 19 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 60% time for the news with sam butler hillary clinton has announced her candidacy to become the next american president in 2016 the former secretary of state and first lady made the much anticipated announcement in a new campaign video saying she wanted to champion the aspirations of ordinary americans here's radio australia's jane cowan The much anticipated announcement came in a video released on social media. Everyday Americans need a champion and I want to be that champion. So you can do more than just get by. You can get ahead
2: and stay ahead. Because when families are strong, America is strong. In a bid to craft a personal connection with voters, Hillary Clinton will make a series of appearances at small-scale events. She'll have to distinguish herself from not one, but two presidents, carving out an identity distinct from both Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. Her record as Secretary of State is already a focus of early Republican attacks. Turkey has reacted furious.